What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Control Yourself podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com. Visit FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com for any upcoming certification dates for any of the functional range systems, including functional range conditioning, functional range assessment, functional range release, uh, as well as kin stretch. If you visit FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com, uh, you'll read on there that we, we uh, explain some of our, our thoughts and, and how the systems were put together and why we do things as we do and the scientific background behind uh, what it is that we do uh, for improving body control or for injury prevention or injury management. The functional range systems is is how we manage pretty much all of our clients, be the, the client a high-level athlete or just a regular person who wants to optimize their body. Please visit functionalanatomyseminars.com for our upcoming dates. All the dates now are, of course, online, and we are running them frequently all over the world. So please go check that out. We are also brought to you by westside-barbell.com, westside-barbell.com. If you don't know about Westside Barbell, please go check it out. Westside Barbell has been an industry leader uh, in sports performance uh, and in exercise science, uh, especially for power lifters and for for, uh, strength athletes. Uh, Just an incredible amount of information. If you go to westside-barbell.com, there's there's education. There's a podcast that you can you can go listen to. They have educational books and materials. Uh, they have videos. They have gear. Uh, they have a lot of great stuff if you're into human optimization and strength and conditioning. So please do visit westside-barbell.com, and if you use the promo code Dre ten D R E, and then the number ten upon checkout you will receive 10% off of your purchase of gear or educational material. Today's episode, I am sitting down for a a conversation with BJJ instructor, competitor, and strength and conditioning coach, Matthew Pasquale, who owns a strength and conditioning gym, as well as uh, he is a, uh, like I said, a BJJ black belt instructor, uh, f- just full of knowledge about about uh, the ground game as well as about its strength and conditioning. Um, joining us in this podcast was is Mark Brunswick, um, who of course uh, is a fellow FRS Functional Range Systems guy as well as a BJJ brown belt. So we uh, have a little a little round table. This was of course before COVID, so we got to get together. And we covered quite a bit of things. We talked a lot about the difference between internal and external training um, and and why that differentiation is important for any athlete or any non-athlete looking to optimize themselves. We we clearly distinguish the difference between internal training and external and why that's important. Uh, We go over some of the myths uh, about jujitsu specifically. For example, the idea that being flexible and bendy will somehow help your game and we try to squash that myth. Once again, discussing the differences between passive flexibility and active control. We talk uh, quite a bit about jujitsu injuries, about the commonality of particular injuries, how to deal with those injuries. We talk a lot also about um, correcting, and I put that in quotes, correcting imbalances and this idea that uh, you know people are inherently not balanced and that somehow manual therapy or training is, is looking to balance people out. So we hope to lay that idea to rest. 
We talk about um, ways to train uh, for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to optimize the learning curve, um, to, to make it so that your tissues can move into the areas they need to move into under neurological control, uh, which of course enhances the learning process. So if you're a BJJ practitioner, an MMA athlete, any combat athlete or any athlete in general, the fact of the matter is, is you can never have too much body control. So the whole premise of this discussion is based around that, that concept that before you can start controlling other people, moving them around the field, moving them around the ice, moving them around the ring where you want them, you first have to control your own body and your own physiology. So we talk a lot about the steps that you can take towards um, getting more body control, which is going to lead to more less faulty movements, which is going to lead to less injury and hopefully more performance success. Anyway, we talk about a lot of things. Uh, you don't have to be a jiu-jitsu person to listen to it. You can uh, extrapolate the information to whatever it is that you do. But I, I will say that if you are a jiu-jitsu player or an MMA guy or girl, you will uh, particularly like this episode. So without further delay, I bring you my conversation with Matthew Pasquale and Mark Brunswick. What is up, people? We are here uh, with my good friend, Matthew Pasquale, my Irish friend, obviously. Irish-Italian. Irish-Italian. Irish -Italian. Is it really Irish-Italian? Yeah. I was just making a stupid joke. No, no, I'm actually Irish-Italian. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom's Who's, Irish. Your mom's Irish. Yeah. I'm very Canadian, though. My mom's grandparents, I think, were born here. My dad's... My grandparents were born here. My dad's mom was born in Canada. Okay. So I'm like... I, no one speaks Italian in my family. Yeah, you're, you're as Italian as he's I am. He's a munchkin. Yeah, munchkin. And then we have Mark. Sorry for people, but everyone knows Mark by now if you've been listening to this yeah. podcast, I suppose. Right, Mark? Yes. Um, yeah, I realized that I wasn't Italian when I went to Italy uh, as an older person, like I guess as I am right now. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as you step off the plane, you realize how not Italian you are. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would not have been to Italy. Both my parents are Italian. So you're yeah. like, oh, I'm Italian. I'm a world but Cup like born here? Around. You're like, eh, World Cup. No, they're born in Italy. Okay. So you might think that I have some kind of like, I'm more Italian than the next guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go there and you realize that you have not been influenced by anything Italian for your entire life. Yeah. Which means, if you say you're Italian, it means you're saying there is nothing to be Italian per se. Does that make sense? Correct, yeah. Because There's when you're there, it's something different. Yeah, it's like Italian-American is like different it's than Italian. Thing, you know right? You yeah. are who you hang out with, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, Matthew, for the people who don't know, is a very experienced Brazilian jiu-jitsu player. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about BJJ, which, of course, is one of our favorite topics. Yes. Uh, you guys know that Mark uh, is uh, also training. What are you now? You're almost... I'm almost right there. I'm almost, almost mediocre. Yeah. You're almost mediocre. He's almost a black belt. Almost, almost a black belt. Probably another year. We shall see. See, we had we had Joel on yeah, the yeah, other day, yeah. and he said fourteen more years. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't say, I can't say that it's another year. Don't worry. I can, in three more years, I think I can give you a black belt. Yeah. Once you get your once you get two stripes. Two yeah. stripes. Good. Yeah. How does that? You need two stripes to give a black belt. I'm pretty sure it's two. You get one after the first uh, three. after three years. Okay. Yeah. So I've been a black belt for three years. Is it getting taekwondoy? Okay, before I say that, I don't want people uh, to get pissed off because I've I, I've studied Taekwondo for a long, long yeah. time, like back in the we'll day. Say McDojo-y. McDojo-y. Okay, so let's just say that. Like, in my opinion, like you see the martial arts, they come, and then as they come here, they start to kind of fade into 
McDojoey. And it seemed like BJJ was the last one yeah, to you, hold you are on. Right. Okay. You know ahead. what? If you asked me that question two years ago, I'd say no. But sure. I actually would kind of agree with you. And just because, look, you, 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 like when I started, there was two academies. There was Rev, which was like the outside of the Toronto Academy. And then there was Toronto BJJ. And like that was it. Mm. So I just went there. I wanted to do Muay Thai. When I showed up, they're like, oh, it's Jiu-Jitsu today. So I'm like, okay. And then it just kind of happened. I was 18. And How old are you now? I'm 31. 31, okay. Yeah. So I haven't taken any time off since 18 mm. to, to this age. So I've been very consistent, like aside from injuries and stuff. The thing is, though, like when we started, there was not that many people. Mm. And those people become black belts. Some are good, some are bad. And those people are like, what am I going to do now? Open an academy. So they start opening academies outside of the city, and it kind of grows and grows. And then depending on what they want to do with their business, it comes a little bit watered down, right? But when somebody starts jiu-jitsu, they really want to get that blue belt. Like, I want to get a belt because it separates you from everybody, right? And you're starting to see that, like, there's more of, like, a direct path to the blue belt opposed to, like, you'll get it when it's time. And there's the more there's the addition of colors to placate people. Yeah, a lot of times yeah. to make them feel better about the grading yeah. process. But we were talking about before because there's a difference between I'm going to do this in the best possible way to make me the best at, at jujitsu or Correct. anything else you're doing, and then there's I'm going to do this in a way that allows me to do things I enjoy doing more often than not. Because as we were saying, the the hindrance to a lot of training of any skill is when someone decides to pick things they enjoy doing yeah as opposed to doing things you're supposed to do yeah right yeah. i agree um and that's actually a funny example of that and i've referenced it to other friends that i train with so if we're covering a myriad of techniques in a class uh, which is understandable keep the class moving and you know a lot of times it's concept stuff yeah and whenever i'm partnering with men and we're drilling i'm like hey you want to do this next one Nope. What do you want to do? I just want to do the entry on this first one. So there's a said, there's a reason for that. I said, don't you want to do the don't you want? Nope. I just got to get this right. Yeah. And he'll take the worst shittiest thing that he's not good at, and then drill the shit out. So this is before strengths. Yeah. This is not this yeah. is weaknesses before strength is not a new. We talk a lot about it at our at my seminars. It's not a new concept, but it's a concept that as many people want to parrot the concept. But then you watch what they're doing, yeah, and they're not doing what they say. Well, people, they just, a lot of people just want to do the thing that they like doing the most. And sure. in jujitsu, that like you've said, it's rolling. That's the most fun. Sure. But you cannot get better at a sport if you just are like just doing the sport and not um, gaining any skills in that sport. You know what I'm saying? Well, number one, number two, jujitsu deserves more respect than call it, calling it a recreational sport. Yeah, correct. Like, correct. If you want to go play, what do you play that that hand uh, frisbee? Like frisbee golf, fucking sport. What is? Yeah. Oh, ultimate frisbee. Yeah. If you want to play yeah, fucking yeah. frisbee golf, yeah. Okay. You don't need sport specific, you know, right. mentality. But if, I mean, jujitsu is like even if you're at the lowest level of jujitsu, the consequences are screwing up yeah. way higher. Yeah, yeah. They're way lower than Olympic lifting, and we might talk about that later, yeah. which is hilarious. But I mean, it is consequential to not. You can't just take jujitsu and. I'm just going to have a, a light fun with it. Like yeah. it, it deserves some respect. But, but imagine if you were like starting Olympic weightlifting and you're like, oh, I just want to max my snatch out every day. Mm. Would you ever get better? No. Exactly. Right? It, oh, man, you're, you just take the words. Because snatch, the, the snatch, when you're doing like a max effort snatch, what you're doing is you're displaying what training has gotten you. Yes. But you don't use that to train. Right. And it's, if you actually follow people who are, get this, actual olympic weightlifters because they do exist in the world yeah 
yeah, they're not training using Olympic weightlifting. Right. Which is the... We have the best kid in the city. Um, I, I can never pronounce her name, but his name's Nikki. His dad is the Bulgarian guy. who mm. like, His world records still stand because they changed the weight classes. Mm. And I think he... I'm pretty sure he has an Olympic gold medal and uh, world champion stuff. And the way this kid trains is like perfect. Everything he does is perfect. Every rep is perfect. And he barely, he rarely misses a, a rep unless it's like the day to push it. But that's like one day, you know, testing, every couple months. Testing yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only time you should fail. Yeah. That's a funny thing is that you see it all the time. It's like people train to failure. Yeah. But you're not supposed to be training for failure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just like I would say, arguably, and we said this on the weekend, people train too hard, but they don't train in hard. Does that make sense? It's the CrossFit. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's, a, it's a model, and I don't want to shit on CrossFit because I was just about to say, actually, because you know, we deal with a lot of professional CrossFitters, and one yeah. thing that we notice is really good CrossFitters, what they are not doing for training is CrossFit, right? Like, yeah, I, I noticed the same like, thing. Or they come from like, they're like an elite uh, weightlifter, and then they sure, come to CrossFit, or an elite sure. gymnast. Yeah. yeah, to be an elite CrossFitter is not to continuously do CrossFit repeatedly. Correct. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Just like linear programming is not going to work. It's the same mentality. You can't just continue. Like you can't start on a Murph and hope that as you do Murph longer, yeah. Murph gets better. Because it's, it's literally not how human physiology works. You can't yeah. just lift something, lift something heavier, lift something heavier at, at, for an infinite number amount of time and expect the adaptations to carry on. Yeah. So yeah. I, I find the guys... Like, don't get me wrong. I love to roll as well in jiu-jitsu. And, like, where I'm at now in my, we'll just say, like, jiu-jitsu journey, rolling is definitely the thing I do the most. But there was years of drilling that, like, accommodated, like, kind of went with that too. But you'll get a lot of guys who just roll, and they're very low skill, but they're very tough. Mm. You know, they just get, like, a lot tougher, and they just get in good shape. Mm-hmm. But they have no skills. Yeah. Or, like, medi- like, very mediocre skills. That, that's interesting because yeah. from – uh, jiu-jitsu is not my primary martial art, so I right. wouldn't say that it's my expertise. So, But when you're training in jiu-jitsu, it does seem that there are qualities that allow you to be good up to, let's say, purple. Yeah. And then there's this thing where if you're one of those people who relied on the fact that you're strong as hell, you hit purple, and then people who you were beating start to beat you yeah and people don't realize what's happening is that strong as hell you've spent all those dollars already so purple belt i always say is my favorite belt okay. it's the only belt you'd be good and shitty at and it's okay You're good and shitty yeah. simultaneously you could be shitty at blue belt and like you'd be yeah. good but at purple belt you could be both at brown belt you got it's time to get good i've you know? never when i got my brown belt in kempo i don't know how many years ago that i've never been as good yeah as i was as a brown belt i would say well, i shouldn't say that I had never been as focused in training as much. I shouldn't say that either. There's, but there is something inherent to being a brown belt yeah. that is different than being any other belt. Yeah, because you're close to black, right? It's like the last time you know you thought you knew something. Yeah. Right? And, 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 and then you get your black. Well, no. And then you realize you don't know shit. Anything. And then you roll with high-level blacks and go, yeah. I don't know shit. But that's, that's everything. Yeah, yeah. Like It's levels. You know, if I go to an academy and say... Look, I'm a big guy too. I'm 6'3", 220, so like that also helps. But say if I'm the most skilled person on the mats, people will look at me and be like, oh, like that's where it ends. I'm like, no, no. Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> There's guys yeah. that what I do to you will easily do that to me. And then there's guys that will do that. And it just it doesn't end because like, there's a lot of people doing jiu-jitsu and there's a lot of really good jiu-jitsu guys out there. Okay, that brings so. me to another interesting concept in that um, 
in jujitsu, like because it's a competition heavy martial art as as it is right now. That's it now. When I yeah, started, the it was totally. not as much. When I start, yeah, I started traditional martial arts like since I can remember. Remember when did you start jujitsu? What what year? Jujitsu, no. Like when I started striking, I, yeah. I I don't remember what date it was because I, it was like when consciousness came in. I was already yeah, yeah. doing it. So like five just, or something. Yeah, I was just doing it the whole time. Uh, where was I going with this? I was going with this, but in a competent and back I was going I was gonna say back then I couldn't give a shit about comps, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I just I didn't even care. It was just the combat aspect. But now that you're in a competition heavy thing like jujitsu, um, that also skews the training and it also skews the definition of what good is because okay, so if you're uh, how old are you now, Mark? None of you have to say it. Every bit of 50 years old. Okay, so you have a 50-year-old 50, 50 who's, who's going to get a black belt. Yeah. But then you have a kid who was couldn't get his blue belt for several years because you have to be 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, He's so too young. There's a difference here, right? Because you have a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old who gets a blue belt after training from their 15, but yeah. then you have a guy who's a blue belt who's been training for 10 years. Yeah. Okay, so there's a difference between there's black belts and there's black belts yeah. and then there's black belts. Yeah. And it's, it's like competition. Like the belts. AOJ kids that are, you know, blue belts and have been training longer than me. Those kids are going to be serious, serious black belts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, cause they just basically like, as soon as they get their blue belt, they just do one year at each belt until black. I think it'll be ni 19 to get your black belt. I, I might be uh, incorrect about that, but yeah, they just go 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah. So that, what I was getting at is that it's like, so what constitutes, okay. So let's say that you're an amazing wrestler. Yeah. Let's say that you're like one of those badass wrestlers. By competition standard, you're kind of a purple belt. Like, you know, like just stop and if I give you like a arm triangle yeah. and one a guillotine, I mean, you're going to be. You're a tough guy to deal you with. You shouldn't get a purple belt in right. the scheme of what jujitsu is as a skill. As well, a that's like Daniel Cormier, right? When he started, he was an Olympian. Yes. And he had to like go through the system too. True. They just go through it faster. Like they're already coming to the table with skills. Sure. Right? It's not jujitsu skills, but it's some, it, it transfers, right? It's like a judo black belt. If you're a judo black belt, you start at blue belt. Because mm. they like art, they know how to sure. throw people and there is some on the ground as well. But do you think that skews the desire to drill versus roll? Like if it's always competition uh, heavy, maybe that's why people don't want to drill. Because I'd want to do the opposite. At this time in my life, if, if you take a class and it's like 50-50 drills to rolling, and yeah. I'm being nice sometimes, because usually it's like, uh, here's an arm bar, try once. Okay, here we go, roll. Yeah. Um, but as I get older, I'm like, I want to skew the other way where I want to be like 99 drilling. It, it, and it, depends. I mean? like, it depends. So I'll, t I'll kind of go through like, I've had a bunch of different instructors and the one that uh, I've had the most is George um, mm -hmm. and he gave me I was a blue belt when he started and he's the one who like made our academy how it is and like the system and stuff previous Which academy is it Tor Toronto BJJ okay so you're yeah. at Toronto BJJ yeah. and, Rev and I started MMA. at Toronto BJJ and Rev MMA so I go to me, yeah me and Joel became friends and then yeah. he invited me to go to Rev and I just go like once a week and, and meet all the guys so two good clubs yeah. fuck yeah. us all up yeah, yeah. no like up. it's a different vibe those sure. guys are a little bit more like friendly and like yeah. it's more welcoming there's a little bit more um, like less emphasis on trying to kill each other uh. so I try to I try to view that day as like I'm gonna get a lot of rounds in and like put myself in weird positions and like just mix it up a bit mm -hmm. so when i started jiu-jitsu it was more the we'll teach you five techniques you do them all twice and then roll so like i wasn't good i would go to competitions and get smashed like going to a competition i had no confidence because i'm like hopefully i'm better than the guy and then when george came in a guy named tommy started 
And Tommy was shitty when he started. He was terrible. And then like three months later, all of a sudden he was just good. And then six months later, he was good. And then after a year, I'm like, this guy's better than me. And I've been doing it for like three years. Mm. And then he goes to Worlds and he wins. He's the first Canadian to win Worlds. Shit. And I, at the time, I was doing jiu-jitsu, but I was kind of doing a bit more boxing and jiu-jitsu was on the side. And when he won Worlds, everyone was like, wow, like this is possible. Like, you know, Canadians doing jiu-jitsu, we, we, we don't see ourselves as good as the Brazilians mm. or the really good Americans. So going to, the world, going to Worlds is like, hopefully I just get to the quarters. Mm. And this guy wins and like fucks everybody up. So I'm like, something's happening here. So then I start coming back and start training. And I go to Worlds my first year, 2011, at Purple Belt. And I get bronze in my weight class and bronze in the absolute. Mm. I lost against Felipe Pena, who's like probably the best black belt. <laughs> if you're not listening yeah. to this, that's not a loss. That's just like, I rolled Felipe Pena and what happened was yeah. that always fucking happens. Well, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I'm in the absolute division. And my fir- I'm in a su- I, I, went, I did super heavy, so there's only one weight class above me. So I'm like one of the bigger guys. And I first round, I faced the guy who came in second at ultra heavy. Close guard, arm bar him in 15 seconds. And I'm like, I'm going to win. I'm fucking unreal. Yeah. Then I'm pacing back and forth, and they see this little Brazilian kid in an Adidas gi and Homelo Bahal just sitting there. I didn't know who Homelo was because like, I just wasn't like in the mix, right? And I'm pacing, I'm like, I'm going to fuck this kid up. And it was yeah. Felipe. I'm like, yeah. I'm fuck this So anyways, he... Yeah, he put a beating on me. He was thinking the same thing. And he, <laughs> he, was, was, just he was thinking the truth. <laughs> he tapped everybody that year. You know Wait, he, was and thinking? he was thinking, the guy across who thinks he's going to fuck me up is about yeah. to get fucked up. Yeah. That's what he was thinking. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? The year, the year that Tommy won blue belt, he beat Felipe. He delayed his progress. He was supposed to go blue belt, purple, brown. He had to do two years at blue because he lost in the quarters. And then he went purple, brown. And everyone knows if you follow jiu-jitsu, he's like... In the top three gi players at any time. Did you finish the story? What was it about him? Okay, so, yeah. so it was like not only the amount of training they were doing, they were drilling a lot. They were like literally just repping and repping and repping. And when you would roll with these guys, it was like each day they just like, like just had new skills. Mm. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like I rolled with you yesterday and you weren't as good as you are today. Mm. They all lived in the house. It was Mikey. Mikey went as well too. I, I got to mention Mikey because... Um, he came in third, mm. right? If what's, Tommy his last, did, what's his last name? Zineski. Oh, yo, wait. Try yeah. again? Uh, Zineski. Okay. It's Polish. Okay. He's probably the best jiu-jitsu mind that I've ever known. He's like, the, the way I am is because of him and Tommy and George as well. But I usually go more to their classes. So um, they had mats in their house. So they all lived in this house and they would just drill all day in these mats. And it was like, each day I saw this kid get better. And I'm like, something's happening here. And then when he went to Worlds, it was like close guard. Everyone was standing as close guard, punch sweep to mount or arm bar. Everybody. And it was the same shit they were drilling. This seat, Okay, so now I've heard, I've never had the, the pleasure of getting choked unconscious by you. Yeah, one day, but, but one day. he has. Several times. Yeah, and he tells me that something that he says about your game. Um, and by the way, if you're listening to this, the podcast called Control Yourself. We're going to get to this idea. We're, we're skirting around the issue of... Yeah, now we're kind of like fanboying out of yeah, it. I haven't seen you in some time. You know, yeah, you're looking good. Yeah, you know? thank, thank you very much. How do you control yourself in, in this regard? But yeah. he, t- he was saying, you were saying that one thing about him is there's a focus on a small number of... Um, make a handful of techniques perfect. Yeah, yeah. So don't, don't try rather to do don't than try. being a generalist... You you think that you should be picking out? I, I you need a you need a very sharp A game. 
So like first, like if 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 everything goes right, this is my game kind of yeah. game. Yeah. If you look at the top guys right now, their A games are like razor sharp. Like look at a Marigali. Look at a a Pena. Look at like their passes that they do are perfect. Their guards that they do are perfect. And then they have like general jujitsu that saves them. Like everyone knows how to escape mount. But if Marigali mounts you, you're not escaping. I'm sorry. Like you know. But are they position specific or? It's more specific? like it's more like how you want to approach it so it's like if you're a guard player it's like how i get to my guard that i want to get to the path yeah the path and tommy when he went to worlds it was like i'm gonna close guard on everybody because if i could close guard on you you will not beat me because his path is from there yeah so you just got to get to the start point of your path yeah and like he's such a he has so much game and so much like ability and close guard that if i could get you there i'll just win by default and like when I started competing, that was my thing too. As long as I could close guard on you, I've now put myself in the best opportunity to win because that's where my best arm bars are, my best sweeps are, my best this. Okay, so again, from the, kind of an outside looking, looking in, there's some instructors where I think like the path is emphasized. Like for example, out at, in New York there at uh, Henzo's, what's yeah. his name, uh, Danaher. Yeah. Like it seems to me like there's people playing the leg lock game and then there's Danaher who's running a path. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's like originally, and I think he had said this on a podcast I listened to. Originally, it was like, yeah, I do leg locks. So, in other words, if they're available, and I have nothing else to go for, yeah. I can hit a leg lock. Yeah. But he literally has a path, so that you're you're problem solving on your way to your leg lock. Same yeah. with with Eddie. With, with they made it more planet. systematic. It's a path. It's yeah. like yeah. you get to here, run your path. So it's the storytelling of this path and that you're saying to focus on if you want to be like an effective jiu-jitsu player that doesn't mean i'm like i actually think that there's lots of people out there that like know way more about jiu-jitsu than me like positions and the techniques of the week and stuff yeah, if they had to list them all out yeah they would but have- if like when it comes to the part that is the part that is actually effective like let's do the rolling part and like see who is better nine times out of ten i'm usually better at that part right and it's like, okay, so this guy could show me like the best worm guard and the best reverse Della, whatever, but he can't put it in practice because he either hasn't drilled it long uh, hard enough that it's not like he can't use it in a realistic situation. Oh, yeah, okay. Or he just is, is not, it's not effective for him. It's not available there. Like my shit's available at any time. Like, yeah. look, when you roll with me, I'm going to smash your guard and mount you. And like anything you do, it's still going to happen. Can you pretend that's like a little hard? Yeah, pretend that you're having... Mark, you're so bad. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? It's like... like, Mark, you know when I pass you and I just win easily? You you know when I pass at will and I kind of laugh where I let you make all your connections and I still get out? But no, if you you watch me roll, guys my size, small of me, whatever, you could just kind of like... If you were betting, you would say, okay, this is what's going to happen. Unless I'm trying to do some other stuff. Like, There's things I also like to work on as well. But it's like he's going to hit this sweep. He's going to put himself... If he's like Matt's going like A game... He's smash passing the mount or he's closing guard on you and making your life hell. This is very interesting because now we're getting back to this concept of controlling yourself because with my seminars, I find, and, and maybe you can speak to this with jujitsu, I find that there's people who are chronic seminar goers, right? Yep. I know I know a couple of you people. Know I know exactly you know where I'm going with this? So like they have like, like so many letters beside their yeah. name. And yeah. it, it ossifies them in yeah. that they there's... There's, there's so much information, but you haven't honed your filter. So now it's like a client's in front of you, and the person's like, I, 
what do I do? It's like squat with your arms over your head, crawl on the floor, yeah. uh, put your arm up, do this, do this. There's like 7,000 things. And at the end yeah. of it, I go, okay, so what's the problem and what are you going to do? Yeah. It's like, and then they just fall back into, I'm going to do what everyone else does instead of actually programming for that guy. The issue too is, is like whatever seminar you just did, that's it's like, like what you did for three months. Yeah. World. Like it's like, no, the, yeah. this is the one, you know? Yeah. And like, it's the same thing. Like you see that in jiu-jitsu too. It's like, oh, there's worm guard now. It's like, that's the key. And it's like, it can be the key if you like do it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times yeah. with different body types. And like, man, I remember like when we were getting ready for competitions, me and my buddy would go in his garage because it was so cold, put hoodies on and our geese over and just drill X-Pass. Yeah. And what pass do I hit on everybody? We, we just warmed up with a hundred of them. Okay, that, again, yeah. so now we're getting into this, this concept where, same with Brian Marug, who's one of our uh, instructors. He's a competitive black belt out in Oregon. Yeah. And like he does toriundos, but he does them like, you go into the gym, and we were talking about this before, it's people associate getting strong and training with the lifting of weights. So it's like there's an association bias where what someone does in a gym setting, and what I mean by a gym setting is where you have machines and free weights, the traditional gym setting is what people use as if that's going to translate into into what you're doing. Correct. Okay, yeah. so yeah, you can go out there and you can do you know bicep curls or you can do Olympic weightlifting because you think you're going to get powerful. And we were talking about this before. Yeah. As if power is a, a universal quality that is bestowed upon you so that once I have power, I have power everywhere. But you don't, right? If you have power in Olympic lifting, you have power throwing something in the air and then sneaking underneath it and hoping not to die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's not the power that you require. But if you're using a Toriundo pass as a training drill, it, again, the word training gets confused because there's training jujitsu, and then I'm speaking about physical body preparedness. Okay. If you think about your drills as a way to make your body prepared, so it's training for jujitsu, but it's physical training. Now, Toriundo passes for time, be, as hard as you can, become way yeah. more effective than your yeah. snatching. And the thing too is when you do it for time or there's like a, like a max effort approach, yes. you're, you're not thinking anymore. And it's just like, this is what is it's as close to as realistic as possible. Mm. So um, to get back to like the training that made me, I felt like I had the biggest leaps in jiu-jitsu because I spent the most time at purple, <coughs> purple Belt. I spent four years at Purple Belt. Which is probably the best thing you could have done. It was because that's when George came and mm. I needed to spend more time there to, to like really get good. And uh, we would do... We would do things where we do a lot of drills and then we do specific training. So it's like now we create the situation and you have to try to put that uh, technique into practice. So for example, say we're doing close guard arm bar, that's the drill. Then the specific training you start in close guard with the guy's arm cross is like now arm bar him. So it's more realistic and yeah. it's like as close to the ruling as possible. Yeah, so you start in the bad position. Yeah. That's what Dewey does as well. Yeah. Which makes me... It's and it's like a minute 30 or like 30 seconds. And then we would always do like Toriano passes for time or we do situational drills where it's like guy on the bottom is down by two points. He has to make something happen. And those are really like specific to competition. Or like you close guard on a guy, but you're down by an advantage. You have to make something happen. And you'll see yourself in competition. You'll be down a small amount and there'll be maybe 30 seconds left and like... It's time to go. You got to sweep or you got to score. It's amazing to me how the greatest, the greats, like when you talk to someone who's, when people really pay attention, you end up getting very similar conclusions. Yeah. And one thing that I, I've spoken to a lot of guys who are amazing at, at a variety of different things, jujitsu and whatever, and it seems to me that um, 
when you the guys who get, nobody ever tells me that the, the defining moment in their training career that made them better is when they learned how to add 15 pounds to their bench press right yeah like nobody, <laughs> just like nobody ever says hold on and, and people out there can jump on it and, and just hear me out here it's nobody ever says to me in a jujitsu match I, I lost and I go why'd you lose yeah nobody ever says I lost because I think I needed five to ten more pounds on my bench press but fuck if I've ever I've heard all the time you know I couldn't complete the squeeze yeah like I couldn't complete it because I didn't have it or and detail was off or the yeah. detail was off and then I and then I, I like okay well show me your program and then in the program I go well where are you training max effort squeezes <laughs> Yeah. Like where, where, I don't understand. It's like, well, I trained that in training. I was like, okay, how many rear naked chokes did you pull off last night in training? Two. So you did two sets of squeeze practice for a very small amount of time. Yes. So you don't train the squeeze, you play squeeze. Yeah. But you train the squat. And this is where I, I, I keep emphasizing, like everyone trains a squat as if that is the one capacity that you need to bring with you forever. Right, right. But in a jiu-jitsu player, it's like, shouldn't the squeeze, shouldn't that be a physical adaptation program as well as, you know, when you're in a rear naked choke, this is how you do it. Do you feel like we should be picking out smarter things to, to maintain and to train? Um, when it comes to conditioning, mm-hmm. I like, I changed my view on that around like a couple years um, when I was competing and stuff, where I always found jiu-jitsu guys would like just kill themselves in the gym, battle ropes, burpees, all this yeah. stuff. And I switched my program where it was a little bit more like just strength training in the gym and then kill, kill myself on the mats because like you gotta, it's, you gotta be like sports-specific conditioning. Mm-hmm. My brother who plays professional hockey says, no matter what I do in the gym, like when you're on the ice, it's just different. Yeah. It's different, right? Yeah. And yeah, just to put a pin in that for a sec, because I want to take a step back, because I yeah. think you were sort of going down a path too. It's when we talk to a lot of these high level performers, it's easy to misinterpret the message because on the surface, it's like, do the work, do the work, do the reps. That's how you get better. But what we're seeing is this whole concept of, yeah, do the work, but do the right work. Yeah. And do the smart It's like smarter, work. not harder. Because there's this thing yeah. in the ether right now, and I don't want to, you know, point fingers or call out names where there's the embrace the suck concept of training of like it's all mental just suffer through it go harder do it an extra rep do that extra two miles do this yeah suck it don't be a bitch fucking do it up and what we always say is show me somebody like that and we'll show you a fucked up person right yeah. like th- those i love those people i love the embrace the suck it's all in your head push through it because those people literally send my kids to school. <laughs> like for everyone saying that, you know, you know, I have an injury, I keep going, keep going, keep pushing. Yeah. Those people end up severely broken. Yeah. Not, and the, I and, can and, hit, and now listen, yeah. so uh, again, internet, internet land, people are, oh, it's fucking, but they're going to jump at it. Uh, listen, some people make it through. Some people embrace the suck, they yeah. push through their injuries and they're fine for it, but that's in spite of themselves. And I need people to understand that. Like the people at the highest level of performance, the best basketball player you know, the best hockey player that I've, I've dealt with these people, th- yeah, they're there because of their efforts, I, of course. But yeah. in a bigger picture, they're also there because they didn't break along the way. 
It's a little bit of luck. Yeah. Oh my God. So, cause yeah. people are always like, well, that guy's not doing that type of training. So therefore I don't have to. Yeah. Cause you think, not you, you, you think that, you know, the best basketball player in the world is the best because he does it best. Right. But that's not how life works, man. As soon as you say that you completely eliminate genetics, he's there because he's the best. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah, now I, I you, saw that with my brother. Um, just because my brother, he played in the NHL last year, so he, like he reached the highest level mm. after nine years of like grinding in the AHL up and down and stuff. So, him at AAA, there was a kid on his team that was drafted to the OHL, and it was like Stamkos, Petrangelo, uh, Delzato, this kid. So it's like NHL superstar, NHL superstar, NHL superstar, that, random kid. Yeah, and it was like when he went to the OHL, he just couldn't hack it. Like just couldn't keep up with everybody and everyone kind of surpassed him. And the only kids on the AAA team that's still playing hockey is my brother, hmm. you know? And uh, I mean, you know, like this kid was the best, he was the best on the team. Longevity, man. Who's going to, who's going to manage the shit yeah. longest. And it gets back to best back to this, this yeah. idea that you just push through it. Jiu-jitsu guys are amazing for this. This is another topic. Jiu-jitsu guys have a, a whole new category of injury diagnosing that nobody yeah. else in the world has. For I've, example, <laughs> for example, you watch someone roll, someone gets up, and, ah, they scream. They come up, they go, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. What happened? It just popped. <laughs> okay, let's stop. <laughs> Everyone stop. When we write the word pop, that equals something, right? People don't, if you pop, watch, if I go like this, and I popped, but I didn't yell, ah, Okay, so that's an okay pop. But when you yeah. associate pop with an injury, yeah. you can't say something just popped because that something is a tissue and now that tissue's fucking damaged. Yeah. So ah, I just popped, I'll be fine. No, no, you tore something. That pop was either a ligament or it was a tendon or it was a muscle and now you have a problem. And I don't know, for some reason, jujitsu or the, they'll get Because if it too. pops and it doesn't hurt that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll be fine. And the other one is it's just a muscle. Yeah. Again, I, I've been studying injuries. I've said that entire, before. That's my, <laughs> yeah, right? There is no such thing as it's just the muscle yeah. other than the fact that the pathological structure that exploded, there's an option. Sometimes it's a muscle. But the reasoning, the, the, there's more to it than it's just a muscle. Yeah. And if it's, if it's just a muscle, thinking that a muscle injury is somehow less important to manage than if it's a joint is a, is, it's, it's wrong. Right, it's just wrong. Moral of the story: when you when something pops, it, it deserves your attention. Yeah, so, and I think there's this disconnect between mental toughness of listen. If Matt is you know younger, Matt is at Worlds and he's in a tough match, and he's in a shitty position. Yeah, there's a mental toughness to get through and yeah. you know and pull it out. That's like one isolated situation. Right. But do I want to do this six days a week? Yeah, yeah. training every day. If I'm, your, if I'm his coach, yeah. if I'm with him as his doctor in a competition yeah. and something pops, yeah. look, motherfucker, nothing popped. Yeah. You're fine. Let's go. Get, get out there. Yeah. But as it's, soon as you're it's done. So, it's so weird though. Like, I've never hurt myself in a competition. I had my one time my rib popped and it, I don't know what happened. It sticks ah, out. Ah. But it didn't, hurt. it didn't hurt. <laughs> it didn't hurt, but I, I ended up losing the match. It was when the guy was putting so much pressure, he was uh, stacked passing me and then it was just like, yeah. and I'm like, oh, and then he passed my guard off of that. But I think he would have beat me anyways. Yeah. That's the only time that like I hurt something kind of, but usually all the bad injuries I've had are always in training. Mm. Um, 
maybe because you know we spend way more time there but like if you look at the effort the effort is max effort in a competition versus in training but mm-hmm. you always get hurt in training yeah you don't get hurt as much yeah most guys that i know always get hurt in training like, the vast majority of of my work with athletes is managing their load management when they're not on the ice or yeah. on the field for sure you have a lot of guys that get injured in the weight room almost all yeah the, if you want my answer, the, the people get injured because they have it's it's they have mismatch problems. Like they they the goals they want, um, they're not attainable in the way they train. The way they select things to train, they forget to ask if their body is prepared for it. So the mismatch of what you want to do versus what you can do is the the answer for the vast majority of injuries that I, I manage. Right. 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 Like. We were talking about this at the seminar the other day, and people never really give this enough thought, right? So we have an industry now, strength and conditioning, manual therapy. It was an industry now based on looking for imbalances and treating imbalances, and people are like, this is how you treat imbalance. You can't be imbalanced and blah, blah, blah. But we're creating the imbalances by assigning dumb exercises with people who don't have the bodies to do them. So right. Example. If you have, let's say that we th- I asked you in terms of how much of your hip do you own? Just in general. If you ask someone, you go, look at someone like an amazing person that has great movement, great, you know, and then think of your hip. Move them around, both of them for a bit. What percentage of your hip do you really think you own? Like, think the best scenario you can have versus what you have. This is a safe zone. Like me personally? Yeah, this is a safe zone. We don't judge here. Me no, personally, no, no. I have, I have, We're judging a lot. I have like, five degrees of internal rotation and way too much external rotation. Okay. So which hip? Which <laughs> I'm a guard player, both hips. Okay, so okay, so is one hip worse than the other? No. Like when I go to squat, when I approach ninety, my knees just want to go like close guard. Okay, they both suck. Yeah, they both okay. suck, but equally. They both suck equally. <laughs> yeah. Which in for my example, it's probably they they don't suck equally is the real answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact of the matter is one's worse than the other. So right. let's say if you hate both of them, let's just give your right one you think it's functioning at like thirty five percent. These are just if anybody online asks me to reference where I got these numbers, um, just fuck off, because I'm just giving an example, if that makes sense. Okay, so if your right one's 35, yeah. and your left one, let's say it's 10. Sure. Okay. Well, that's my hip. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever exercise you select, as soon as someone tells you to do it properly, yeah. you know what that means? What is that? You're creating imbalances. Yeah. You have an imbalanced body, and now you're asking someone to do a balanced exercise like a squat. And now people are running around. There's an industry made on chasing the, the problem that we're causing. Does that make sense? Right. Like imbalances are because you're imbalanced and then you do shit with your imbalances. And then it reinforces the imbalance. And then you have to get treatment. And then you have to get treatment for the imbalance yeah. where everyone's looking for. When in reality, what you should have done is you should have said, I only have... 35% of my right hip and it only has 10% of my left hip. Yeah. Now, neither of these is good enough, but for damn sure, you should be bumping this one up very quickly and then you should realize that you need to bump this one up as well. Yeah. And that's a different topic, right? Like right. the idea that you can learn jiu-jitsu with 35% and 10%, you'll learn jiu-jitsu, but understand that the learning curve is going to be far more difficult for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. We, we were talking about this uh, before we started recording, but again, I'm a strength and conditioning coach and I have a gym and stuff like that. And yeah. um, <clears throat> it's hard 
to get somebody to do the work that you're talking about. Yes. When they see squat, deadlift, press, pull. I know. Literally like a thousand times a day. And right? I, you go on yeah. Instagram and all you see is like good looking people yeah. exercising. You don't see like people doing FRC. I, I do because like, you know, I follow I know. some of this stuff. But it, it's not even you know? just FRC. It's there is a fundamental problem with the way we've. I, who the fuck am I? Like yeah. I'm just giving my example. There's a fundamental problem in the way that we view exercises and we've been telling people that we've been doing it correctly for so long that even industry people have forgotten that we're not doing it correctly. You know I mean? Like you know what I mean? Like Yeah, I would I would loop myself in there. Um, I, I especially before you did a seminar can loop too, right? Out because yeah. it's you know, th- just the difference between internal training and external training, which is really what our system is, we're saying that we do the internal training, everyone else is doing the external training. Just adding that idea that, yep, no, no, you have to control yourself first. Right. That, I mean, if you just give jujitsu players that, just go, when you're in the weight room, even if we break it down, this is not 100% accurate, but if you're in a weight room and you're, you know, and you're thinking this is the kind of control you have, your goals should be control your internal environment first, and then use that to learn how to control the external environment. So there should be a, a high percentage of internal training. Yeah. Meaning that if you have a problem, like your hip doesn't work, instead of layering weight on this shitty hip, you just have to change the, f- even if you don't know my system, if you change your focus to say, it's more important for me to have a hip than it is to have a strong hip, just start there. Yeah. And then your programming changes. It's not going to be perfect, but if you just say to yourself, well, maybe I should be doing a little more body weight training, at least at the beginning, even that would make a huge difference. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, Stop grabbing fucking things and throwing them around in your external environment when your, your meat wagon doesn't know where the hell it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? That line you're saying too is basically jujitsu in a nutshell. You have to control yourself to be able to control another person. Right. Right. And and it's not just jets. Yeah. I mean, um, one of our instructors, John Quint, brilliant. You know, was was telling me an example at a seminar where he works with a lot of NFL athletes in the off season, and he told one of his guys, "This this is the this was the exact example. You don't have a hip." And he told him everything he had to do to do his hip, and he did not follow the uh, the programming. And then two weeks into training camp, hey, can you come down? What happened? I screwed yeah. up my head. But the, and John's re- reaction was, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? But, but this is a kid who came from like squat, power, clean, bench. Just thought they could like power, since he was power, eight years old. Power through. Again, right? It's, there's a, and like, what are you going to yeah. tell him? He's like 35 now or whatever. Yeah. Like, same, look at my brother. My brother um, grew up in the hockey system here at the highest level. The, you know, got drafted to the NHL, played in the AHL a year after. The only thing he didn't play in the, was the World Juniors. He was a goalie, and they always choose Quebec goalies, and he's like, they don't even speak English to me when I go. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had two hip surgeries. Uh, he tore his labrum, had a hip surgery here. It was botched, had to do it in the States, and he has a torn labrum in his shoulder, and his knee, he messed up a little bit. Mm. Um, which is actually pretty good for like a 10-year pro career. I know. Right? That's sad. <laughs> I don't know if people know that. Though. Yeah, that's like, he's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. The labral tear almost ended his career. Yeah, um, he tore his labrum. He was on the brink of making the NHL, having an all-star year in the AHL. He's like, you know what? I'm going to do the surgery halfway through the season so I could come back for the next year instead of doing it in the summer and like missing half the year. He did the surgery here. And he just knew as soon as it was done, he's like, something's not right. 
He's like, the guy took my internal rotation away. He just says, like, I can't kick my leg out anymore. Mm. And, like, he has so much. And he could do the full splits at 6'3 and kick his leg out to make butterfly saves. And the guy refused to MRI his hip. He's like, I need an MRI. And he said no. And uh, he, they traded him. And when he reported that week, they MRI'd his hip. And they're like, whoever did your surgery, it was terrible. There's, like, screws floating in your hip and shit. They're like, we'll pay for your surgery here. He's like, after a week of the second surgery, he's like, I felt better than seven week, months of rehab with that one. And they saved his career. He went through some shit after that year. He basically had to start in the East Coast League, which is like where dreams go to die. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, now he's in the KHL making like half a million bucks US, you know? And like having, he's the best goal in the league. Shit. But it could have went the other way. Yeah. And when he decided to get the surgery, the goalie in the NHL got hurt. The goalie from the East Coast went East Coast, AHL, plays in the NHL now. Shit. Because two guys got hurt. Yeah. That's just the way it is. That's, that's sports, game, though. That's how the game yeah. goes, right? He's like, it fucking gave that guy a career. <laughs> yeah, really. But you, you, I mean, another good point you're bringing up is I think some people out there literally think that when you deal with a professional athlete, you're dealing with the highest peak of human health. No, I say this all the time. Holy they're the most unhealthy shitty. people ever. Uh, uh, Mike Ranfone, yeah. uh, one of my uh, good buddies, he said, um, uh, "Health is the cost for high performance." Yeah, which I've is, heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, it's hundred percent right. Because I know for me, like, go and deal with my first NBA team, and I'm dealing with guys who are, as athletes. Yeah. Oh my god! Like, would you say it's NBA athletes are better than NFL? Because I always, I always side you know, NFL. How do you, how do you, how do you quantify? That's athlete. true. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, I mean, I suppose if you had a competition where you're like, everyone's gonna play everything, and we're gonna see who sucks the least overall. But what if you just had like a general combine of just raw skills, like who's the fastest, who jumps the longest, who jumps the highest, who has could do the agility thing that we said. Okay, up. but yeah, we're gonna add those things because now gymnasts come into the play, right? Because if you're gonna, but they add, can't like then the strength thing. They so know. I mean, what you're what you're saying is that is there a is there a law of specificity in human physiology? We all know that there certainly is. That's why it's so hard to say. Like I don't know yeah. who would end up. Being I would say it's one or the other. Football or basketball, basketball? You think are the best? I think all hockey athletes are are not great. I think, I think, it's, I think there's like too much skill in that sport. I think wrestlers would have something to say. Wrestlers, okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean. But I, I think one of the interesting takeaways from the whole conversation, because we see it across the board and back to Jitsu, is it's amazing how broken people could accommodate and compensate yeah. and still perform yeah. until they can't anymore. Yeah. They told my brother yeah. he's going to have a hip replacement yeah. by 45. Yeah. Full hip. My dad had a hip replacement at 50 and played like high school football. Well, look, if there, was a, if there was a perfect way to do this, the idea would be create the internal skills and capacities necessary for whatever your external demands are. I think there is a way to do this, even in restructuring the way jiu-jitsu is taught. I don't know how because I'm not a jiu-jitsu instructor, but yeah. there seems to be a way to tell the story which conforms to the person. For example, you have a room full of people. You have one guy who literally has no hip, like there's no rotation. At all, internal, external, which by my definitions, if you can't rotate a hip, you actually, by definition, don't have a hip because the fundamental thing a hip does is rotates, right? Correct. So you don't have a hip and you're beside 10 people who do and you're about to learn how to throw up triangles. I understand that you're running a program, you have 60 people, but if you had best case scenario, 
I would argue that that dude should probably be doing focusing somewhere else. Yeah. Like arm triangles are in the in in the game for you right now. Yeah. But if you want to get a triangle, step up. Now I'll give you an example. Tenth Planet guys kind of get this because they're, to do a, an effective rubber guard is to yeah. say that you have a physical skill that nobody else has. Right. So they work towards that skill. They don't do it correctly because they do it very passively, and I can explain why it's dangerous to, especially for jujitsu guys. Yeah. Jujitsu guys think that if they can make themselves bendy, that they have the advantage, yeah. and they do not. I have a couple guys who are like 19 who have herniated discs in my gym. You do not yeah. have an advantage by being bendy. They're like the guys who you can't pass their guard because they just fold into a pretzel. And then they like herniate random discs too, like in the middle of their back or their neck. And Yeah, because yeah. the idea that you can acquire passive flexibility and somehow use that for active sport is is so fundamentally flawed. Like and I can go on I mean, I can go on as to why that's fundamentally flawed for hours, not the least of which is the fact that the only thing that really prevents you from being injured or the only thing that defends you against the injury when you boil down to it is strength it's the only outcome measure that matters right because when you get injured it's like the amount of force that went in exceeds the amount that you can absorb right so the only way to increase that is to add strength which is to say you can't just be bendable you have to be strong bendy right you have to have yeah. ranges that you can control um, and and it's like this if you acquire something passively like if you get into the splits passively after a warm-up and i say okay well you know can you kick your leg all the way over your head to 180 well no i can only lift my leg to 90 okay so you have a passive split of 180 right and then you can control 90 or you can actively move into 90 which means that there's 90 de degrees for which you have exactly zero experience using yeah. Because you can't move where you can't move. Which means that if you have no experience with that 90, not only is that 90 worthless for you in terms of what you can do with it, throw up a triangle. But it's also useless in if you throw up the triangle and someone tried to break out, you have no experience yeah. there. So that means you have no strength training experience, which means you have no strength. Yeah, I think you said this and it might have been in the seminar or like this is kind of what I took from it. But I always find that like, Again, in my gym, when people who do yoga, those are the people that always are hurt the most. They're the most flexible. Like, they have the most, like, passive flexibility. But the guys who are, like, on the stiffer side, they'll, like, break, but they're usually not banged up like yogis are. It's a different kind of banged yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, like, they're all, like, everything kind of hurts, but a guy who's really stiff, it's like, he'll, like, have a traumatic injury. It's messed up because yeah. stiffness, the way it's talked about in the general population, is a bad thing. But in my... Uh, professions to have a, a tissue that's stiff is to say that it's responsive and that it can take direction properly right? right so you're right in saying that there's these two boundaries like people who make themselves flexible via passive means yeah and then there's people who have no flexibility but the ranges they have they're strong they can at least yeah they're yeah. at least strong so yeah. now if you this is like our system if you can somehow marry these two things yeah. Where the stiff person is constantly trying to move that way towards more range, but they bring their strength with them. Okay. Or you take this floppy, sloppy, I don't mean sloppy. Now people are going to, oh, you closed your <laughs> It's not what I'm saying. But you take people who acquired the flexibility passively or they were just naturally flexible, those people have to be brought that way. Correct, yeah. And 
you, it's, 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 it is what it is. It's, you can't move where you can't move, and the places that you can't move, you have no experience, which means you've never trained, which means you have no strength there, which means you can't absorb force. The end. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. it's, it's just kind of how it goes. And now you can say, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys will say, well, you don't need to be, you don't need to have a lot of ranges of motion because look at some of these guys. There's some guys who are stiff as shit and they do good at jiu-jitsu. But if I could give that guy a pill and I can go, okay, you'll keep all of your skill, yeah. but you'll have greater workspace, which means to say you have greater range of motion to apply your skill, everyone would take the fucking pill. Right. Right? Yeah. So it's like this. If you are bendable, you're justifying being bendable. If you're not bendable, you're justifying not being bendable. But you're both wrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, I had a funny chat with Dan, our uh, instructor in Australia. Um, Our FRS instructor. Yeah, our FRS instructor in Australia. At false grip. At false grip. Falsegrip.com. Good lab. Yeah. Um, And he's explaining. He was talking to like a a pro rugby SNC coach and explaining, you know, why they should, you know, maybe explore the system. And, you know, he looked around the room and he noticed seven people were in slings <laughs> and all had postseason shoulder yeah. surgery. Yeah. And when he sort of dove deep with, you know, one of his uh, colleagues over there, he said, like, what's going on here? He goes, oh, well, our guy thinks tight shoulders are strong shoulders. And I hoped you start, I said to him, I hope you start laughing. And I said, well, how's that working out for you? Because mm. apparently somebody's missing part of this equation. If everybody's yeah. getting surgery. Oh yeah, we're not doing this right. That's the thing that yeah. I keep running yeah. into is like we think we're doing this right, and people love having people on podcasts to talk about like what do they call them? They're hackers. I'm a, I'm a biohacker. I'm a, I'm a biohacker. biohacker. I'm a and I've heard these people. And listen, my I'm a specialist in human physiology. Like, yeah. Let's just say it. I hear biohackers, and I hear people who generally don't understand the laws of human physiology, like. There's no hacking. It's either you're putting the work in on a repeated basis or you're not. And if you're hacking, whatever benefit you got from hacking will not be there tomorrow, says everything ever published in the history of science, which is the scientific revolution is like five to six hundred years old. Yeah. So there is there is no magic like. God damn it. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I keep telling these people there's there's nothing like. People say weird things like my, my glutes inhibited and I went to my guy and he turned it back on. Like they're hacking these. Th- there's no there's no turn it back on. Your glute didn't decide to inhibit. Your glute is made of thousands of individual muscles called muscle fibers that we group into this thing called a glute, which is just a mouth noise to describe a bunch of shit that we can't individually name. Because in a glute, if you have thousands of glute fibers, every fiber is its own muscle, but that would be right. a lot of muscle names. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and the, where was I going with that? The glutes do what the glutes do. I remember where I was going. No switching on. And the idea on. that a glute woke up in the morning and goes, you know what, fuck this shit. I'm not working <laughs> today. It's so weird because clearly there's a reason why your central nervous system has changed its output to lessen the amount of output you get out of your glute. If you have a fucked up hip, yeah. well, then your fucked up hip is telling your brain that your hip is fucked, which means the motor output to the hip is going to be such to defend the fucked up hip. So when your glute goes off, it's like people get mad. Right. And I keep telling people, if you didn't compensate like that, you'd, you'd, you wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. Like if someone has a compensation, everyone's like, oh my God, we gotta get rid of it. And I'm like, no man, that shit's saving you. So you wanna train out of it 
over a long period of time. Yeah. But to think that I can get rid of it today is, is dangerous. Yeah, it makes sense. Same reason why when people have like a toe that's pointed out that way, they have valgus toes, which they always blame on their mother for some reason because it's always genetic. <laughs> Meanwhile, your mother just should have fucking trained her foot maybe. And you should train your foot. I don't know if it's genetic. But anyway, your foot, your, your toes... I kept going, and I don't even know where I was going with this again. The valgus toes. The valgus toe. Oh, you got a valgus toe, and someone's like, put a spacer. You ever see the, the girls, they do their nails, yeah. they have those toe spacers? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the person, ha- like, think about this. The person's toe has been moving valgus f- over years. Years of adaptations to compensations to, you know, so that you can continue to walk. Because really, if you lose dorsiflexion of your toe you're not going to stop walking. It's not like you're going to put your foot down. I can't dorsiflex and it pushes you back. No, yeah. you're going to fucking walk, but you're just going to bend over the inside of your toe. Yeah. So it's going to take you years and years to start this going. And then someone goes, fuck that, put a spacer in. And now just, you know, walk. It's like, okay, now we have another problem because now the physical body has changed to accommodate for your shitty gait. And now you're saying that that accommodation is not what you wanted. So you're contradicting the body's process, slamming the foot where the toe where you want it and not remembering that, yeah, there's, there's bony growth now because it's fucked up. Right. And you just decided, fuck the bony growth. I'll just slam into it a thousand times because you want the foot to be straight because you think that's normal. Hold on. I got to take my spacers out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not. No- I, just, I just think like. Everything you said make makes sense, obviously, yeah. right? Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sense a butt. Yes. No, yeah, there's yeah. not. There's a butt, but it's not like yeah. it. Just it seems like the voice of the people over here. Like, look, I'm a I'm a strength and conditioning come mm-hmm. from a meathead background guy. I'll, I'll kind of give a little background. I started lifting because I was weak in jujitsu. Mm. That's why I have a gym now, and that's why I, like I'm a proponent of lifting because it. I started doing strongman stuff with this group of guys that do jujitsu. I you know, turned 19, 20, 21, physically developed, and now I'm a strong guy in the mats. But before, I was the weakest guy in the mats. Mm. So it's like anyone who starts from being weak to getting strong or, like, not being able to output force to being able to output force, we just know this one way. Yes. So it's like the voice of those people, like, lift weights, push sleds, like, that's just what it is. So if you're like, oh, but do this way, it's like, well, thousands of people are doing this way. I know. And it's like, how do I, where do you bridge the gap? So what you're saying with the toe thing obviously makes sense. But if like the spacer guys, yeah, like, what? or the orthotic guys, like I had orthotics when I was a kid. Yep. That's just what we did, you know? Yep. And it's, yeah, it posture people. I get, yeah, I get like, so when I do seminars, if you've never been to my seminar, what I don't do is just tell you how it is and move on. I tell you how it is. And I tell you the exact line of scientific literature that, made me think that this is how it is you know what i mean so i I spend a lot of time and one thing that i have to spend extra time on is explaining to people that everything you think you know about posture and what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong is fundamentally wrong right the idea that's a tough one for people yeah it's a tough one i heard that at the seminar i was like it's hard because it's hard to swallow yeah you know anterior head carriage like having your head like this I mean, we've made careers out of telling people that's bad. And now you have research that's saying, actually, it's not bad. It, it, it doesn't seem to be bad. We, we now have research saying that even if you wanted to change posture, just 
exercising is not going to do it. You know, people have that weird thing. If you have rolled shoulders, make your stromboid stronger, and then you'll stand like this. Yeah. How do you explain weight or rock climbers? Rock climbers have conceivably the strongest pulling tissues of any other sport. And if you look at a group of rock climbers stand, they don't stand like dancers with amazing posture. Right. It, it, similarly, a 12-year-old dancer does not have stronger rhomboids than a 25-year-old rock climber. Yeah. And it doesn't relate. And then you go back to the idea that I think that's an evolution problem. I think people have this weird concept that our species is moving towards something better. So everything was quadrupedal. We went to bipedal because we upgraded. And that's just a fund fundamental misunderstanding of what human evolution is because it is not. We still have DNA in our genome that technically codes for quadrupedalism. Like it's not like we get, we used to be quadrupedal so that gets passed on. Right. It's not like we just get rid of that DNA. It's still there. So now you got to say, well, what part of the coding is normal for human? You don't code for normal posture. You code for proteins. So standing like this, the reason, like legitimately, the reason why we say this is good posture is because we, this is anatomic position, yeah. which is just another way of saying, if you take a picture of me to put in a magazine or in a textbook, you see the most shit when I do this. But nobody ever said that was normal. Like that's, that's not the way, it's not the way you're supposed to stand, nor is this the way you're supposed to sit. You know, sitting like this is bad for a long period of time. Yeah. Sitting like this is bad for a long period of time. Like when I was a kid, I would sit on my knees and I was always told not to. Like, don't sit on your knees. It's bad. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Nobody can say that shit. This is like pre-Google. I'm like, I guess it's just bad now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the W pad. Like, people have these. Yeah. Because they, they told me not to eat paste. But <laughs> you should have eaten glue as much as yeah. possible. You know what I'm saying? It's just the voice. Again, voice over here versus this voice is just how do you make your voice louder? I know. And that's, that's the, the problem you're running into is, like, we were, we were getting yeah. at this because we were saying, like, the fundamentals of a lot of it is wrong and the fundamentals are repeated so often that even if you know them to be wrong, you start to believe them to be true. Yeah. And, and we, see, we see it anecdotally every once in a blue moon in a seminar, especially a pro seminar. Mm. So we work with a lot of professional teams, like we're probably up to about 50, mm. 50, you know, 50 or 55 uh, professional teams that we work with. And then every once in a blue moon, usually... Dre will be lecturing and we'll get some feedback where somebody's brain basically broke halfway through the seminar because now we've called them to question everything they believe about SNC mm, and programming yeah. and how people evolve and all this kind of stuff. And it's just a fundamental lack of not being open to new ideas, really. Mm. Right? They're so set. And it, it harkens back to this whole concept of seminaritis. I took this, I learned this, I learned this, I'm done. Yeah. This is the way you do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll get the odd thing of like, how dare they? Yeah. How dare they tell me I'm training something possibly incorrectly? Yeah. This is horseshit. And, they, and they're, and they're yeah. out. Whereas there's another hundred people in the seminar going, haven't thought about it that way. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> there's people right now who, funny enough, there's people right now watching this who are waiting to just fucking throw jabs, right? Which is amazing because what a waste of, what a waste of your time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you fundamentally disagree with me and you're sitting here listening to this just to see if you can poke like, at something, something like, yeah. fuck's sakes, yeah. get it, get it, go study jujitsu. Shut up. Like, yeah. Do something. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's arrogant because we're, if I say there's fundamentally something wrong, you're like, whoa, you don't know everything. I don't. 
That's what I'm saying. I don't. But when you think about it, for example, this might be interesting for you. When, when did you learn, just think about when did you learn muscle physiology? Like if I said you learned muscle physiology, how long ago did you learn it? Uh, when I was in university. So, okay. so how many years ago? Uh, six or seven. Okay. Like so six or seven. Fundamentally, the way we know muscles to function has changed in that time. Okay. Like some people say, you know, I learned the sliding filament theory back first day, f first grade in, in university. When did you go to university? 20 years ago. Listen, the sliding filament theory is, and for those of you who don't know, it's the proposed mechanism as to how muscles contract. Yeah, that's what I learned too. Sure. Yeah. And it's really, a, it's a good, th it, it's fine, but it's not the way it happens, right? And now we know, for example, that we used to think that muscles create force in one direction along the lines of the visual fibers. Yeah. So like a bicep goes that way. Yeah, I remember like the diagram, it like pulls. It pulls. Yeah, like, it just goes like that. The so actin myosin. You know how shit, we, yeah. you know how we learn that, how, what bicep does? We literally take cadavers, we, we feed like strings through the cadavers to their origins and insertions, and you pull on them and it goes like this. <laughs> so this is now what the bicep does. Yeah. And now an entire industry is built on this. Yeah. So you start making machines. What are the machines for? They're to, to do that. To put load <laughs> against you while you do this. Because we thought muscles create force in one direction. Now, pick up any human phys book or, or, or article right now, and what you realize is that muscles do not only produce force linearly. When a muscle contracts, it gets wider. So a lot of that force is shot laterally. So to the extent some studies will say like 70% of the forces actually distribute laterally instead of going in one direction. That's, it. which is another thing to say that the actin and myosin, when they cross each other, they also separate. Okay. So you have like these Z discs, if you remember. Yeah. Z disc, you'll remember, right? You have actin and myosin like that, and then they, they make these cross bridges, ATP is broken, they slide these get smaller. So the yeah. idea is this moves that way, that moves that way, that's how your muscle contracts. Correct. That would be cool if it wasn't for the fact that your muscle is made of several sarcomeres, which makes, that doesn't make sense because if this one, if this goes that way and this goes that way, then how can this also go that way and that way? Yeah. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense, right? And now, not only that, but now when you contract, you're not only working that way, the actin and myosin actually separates. Okay. Because everything gets wider. So now we're like, okay, so muscles don't only do this. They do a shit ton more, right? But the exercises don't reflect that. Like, so now we have new knowledge, but the exercises are the same ones they were. So that's why when I say there's a fundamental problem here in how we select exercises and people, oh, you're fucking being arrogant. I'm actually the opposite. I'm looking at it saying, oh my God, guys, I think we might have fucked up. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not saying I invented the solution. I'm saying we fucked up. And so, so like, say if jiu-jitsu guy comes to me mm -hmm. and they're like, I want to get stronger. Yeah. And then you were training them. Or sorry, sorry, they go to you and they're like, I want to get stronger. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything. Yeah. They're like world class and they just need to get stronger. Where do you start? I break down their entire body. Okay. I look at the workspaces of every one of their joints. What's a workspace? A workspace is like... If I say, show me the workspace of your shoulder, what I'm saying is, if you, if you show me the maximal amount of space that your arm can move through, this yeah. is your workspace. This is the space where I can do work. If I have a shit shoulder and I go like this, you know, 
that's this is your workspace. So whatever work you're going to do, training, whatever, you yeah. can only do it in your workspace. So the, in my opinion, workspace trumps everything when it comes to programming. Okay. If one of these jujitsu people, it, 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 let's give me an example, high level guy. Uh, right, level right now, the guys who I'm doing work with that are doing jiu-jitsu is more like, here's a program, and they do it like twice a week. Let's say that you give me a high-level guy, yeah. and you say, what would you do, right? Yeah. Number one, if you're, a high, you're strong enough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're fucking strong enough. You're there. You're at the game. You're strong enough. You're probably fast enough. You're pro- so what is the lowest hanging fruit? You are. So I would assess okay. you. I would assess every joint. I would look at what is the workspace we have to work with. I would check how much passive range of motion you have, how much active range of motion you have. So in other words, I'm going to internally assess what your body is capable of. Right. If your body doesn't have the capacities it requires, like your hip doesn't rotate, that's where you start. And people find that scary because they think to start there is to stop training. That's it, yeah. Because they're like, oh, I was doing trap bar deadlifts and yeah, sleds and all that shit. That's because you've never trained with me. Yeah. I will fuck you up with you. Does that make sense? Like, I don't yeah. need those weights. Yeah. I will f- When you're done internally training with me, you're going to beg for max effort deadlifts. Because what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start saying, instead of you wasting max effort energy on shit that you can't do, right. I'm going to apply max effort training internally okay. to your joints. And then once I start to break open workspace, now you have shit to work with. Yeah. So fund like there's more to it than that, but fundamentally, if you ask what would I do, that's what I do. Like when a pro athlete comes to me, I've had guys come in here. You've seen them. They're they're the, they're there where they are. Like they're the guy, right? Yeah. So when they come into me, how do I make this guy? I, this guy's got to get better. Better than who? He's, he's already the best. He's fucking best. Yeah. So the only conceivable we what am I gonna do? Set put more plyos like. You go to any other trainer with the best guy in the world, you go, make me better. What are they going to do? They're going to do the same shit that everyone else is doing. I'm pointing Just over kinda here like again. Just kind of like differently. This is where our know? gym is, yeah. by the way. That's why I point over there. They, but it's going to be ordered differently, yeah. or oh, I use this you know, German volume training, or I do it this way, or I do it that way. But fundamentally, you're taking something they're already good enough at because they're the best in the world. Right. Technically. So if you give me the best in the world, my only answer for you is if I can make it so that when the best guy in the world's brain wants his body to do something, if the body responds with 100% accuracy 100% of the time, yeah. you have a super person, right? Like if you give LeBron, you give me LeBron, you want to make a super LeBron? Yeah. Make it so that when LeBron has a basketball thought, his body executes. Okay. That's the definition of why he's the best. Yeah. It's not because he's the... F- Wayne Gretzky, was he the strongest? Was he the fastest? No, it's because his brain, the execution of his brain is better than other people's. So get himself out of his own way. That's what I do with, that's what I do with Mike. When you send me the best Jits guy in the world, I'm just going to get him out of his way just so that he can execute. And sort of the, 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 the answer isn't stop all your strength training. No, of course not. not. That's not what we're saying. It's how do you prioritize and how do you you carve up the week of of doing that? Because we're not telling every S and C person in the world, Oh yeah, you can't use these exercises. No, my God, of course. Because I think that's like, again, from an S and C person's point of view, when we hear it, it's like, no more squats, deadlifts. No, 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 It's like, you know, listen to this. How about this? How about instead of using your deadlifts and squats as your max efforts, 
why don't you just change the percentage of weight you're using, throw them into your dynamic efforts so yeah. that you maintain those qualities and then add max efforts in where it's more needed. Like if I need a hip, if I need internal rotation, I can max effort you train, max train effort into internal rotation. Yeah. It's just that it's the ability to discuss with your client that I'm not taking training away. I'm substituting training. That's, that's the key. Yeah. Because I don't, when I, if you could fast forward, like have the conversation and then fast forward three, six months down the line and have yeah. the results, yeah. you, you'll sell every time, you know? Yeah. Because that's the biggest problem. Like, I, again, doing the cars and stuff with some of my, even general population clients, they don't want to do it. Like, they're not doing it mm. properly. They're just kind yeah. of rotating their arm and, like, yeah. okay, let's get to this shit. Like, I want to lose some weight, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's tough, man. Yeah. But, people who want to lose weight never factor in the fact that when you're injured, you're not burning calories. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I want to lose weight, so I don't want to do any of the shit. I, well, just I want, want to tone. I just want to tone Yeah, up. I just want to tone. <laughs> that, that word makes means nothing, right? It means exactly nothing. But, uh, but anyway. But yeah, and then, well, listen, the other interesting part, too, is it's, this is this is the starting point of the system. Yeah. Of getting you that workspace. Because then eventually what happens is you have a client or an athlete in front of you who has great workspace. And then you go into like the next phase of the system. It's like train, motherfucker. Train. Can we get speed and endurance and you know velocity? Have you have yeah? Have you yeah. ever had a professional athlete come in and then like, oh, your body's good? Yes. Really? Very rare. No, they're never perfect. But like they have they have like enough that you're good with it. Yeah, dude. Like hockey players traditionally have no hips at all. Yeah. Why? Because you're fucking playing hockey. Yeah. Like, it, millions of years of evolution has said that when you drive a sagittal force into the ground, you propel yourself forward. Hockey comes and says, fuck that. I'm going to put a blade on the bottom of your foot. Push out to the side, and you'll go forward. They also have no ankles. They're always it, elevated. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. it's... I've had, a, I've had a few players that... Actually, one player that you think you know who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, he, he was like a, a gymnast that plays hockey. Oh, yeah, he was freaky. Yeah. Okay, and you know what the and great And it's just like luck of the draw type of thing? Uh, or no, he did the work just, too? Well, he did the work. Like, he had the movement. I had to give him control of the movement. But he was... He, he, he knew internal training before external rule. He knew that rule. Yeah, like, yeah. A lot of body weight stuff. He wasn't r there, but he was better. Part of it's genetic as well. But the most important part about this is with that guy... Oh my God! I, you can you can do you can make a legit monster. Yeah. You don't have to worry about this thirty-five to ten problem. You don't have to worry about making him imbalanced. You don't have to worry about you know injuries will come, but they're not going to come as a result of what you're assigning when right, you have right. a body like that. Right. But it's rare. It's rare because sports is not normal. Right. Also, anyone who plays hockey, they've been probably playing. Like my brother started playing. You could say the professional level at eight. Because AAA starts at nine, and he played Super Eight, which is like the elite eight-year-olds. And at AAA, you're on the ice five times a week. It's a grind. Yeah. 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 So from nine to he's going to be thirty this year. Mm. And right. then you know, minus the hiccup when he had the hip surgery. Yeah. And just and to bring up Quint again, like Quint works with a lot of bodybuilders. Yeah. Mm. They're still moving lots of weight, mm. but they have access to yeah. way more, and that's how they're getting bigger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's it's even. That's a good thing to point out. We don't have to go too deep on that, but. Yeah. Even a bodybuilder, like your access to yourself is the predeterminate factor as to how much muscle you can add to yourself. Because if you can't access yourself, that means you can't access muscle tissue. And if you can't access muscle tissue, by definition, you can never adapt the muscle tissue to get larger. Yeah. Right. So 
the access to yourself is the number one factor for even something like bodybuilding when you're going to go into the gym and do these machines and whatever. But who is the body going to the lift? That's the question. Everyone's always wondered about the lift, right? Everyone wants to know, how do I coach a lift? How do I, knees out, chest up, blah, 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 blah. But I think what we're forgetting is the athlete that is going to the bar is a huge variable, not yeah. just the bar, right? The bar, you accommodate to the bar, but the, you accommodate to the bar. The bar doesn't do anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. That might have been off topic, or my. How long have we been going, by the way? I think I think we're uh, we're almost there. So. Yeah. yeah, I think like we're, to go back to jujitsu, they're like in the stone age when it comes to training because, like, when I started to now jujitsu competitions, it's like UFC one to UFC now. Like we used, there there wasn't even pre registration, so you'd get to the tournament at eight a.m. Mm-hmm. have to sign up, and then they're like trying to put it together. Some guys were competing at like nine p.m. Yeah, and like they figured, like, oh, maybe like you just register before you get there, so we could have everything and all the brackets. That's like a new thing. Where like I could go to the competition. It's like you're competing at two o three. Yeah, you know who you're competing against. <clears throat> against this guy, like, be there at this time. Yeah. That's new. That's not like how it used to be. And so when it, like they're behind on that angle, and mm-hmm. they're behind on the training. Like usually, I, I find a lot of martial arts guys is like just do that. You know, like you know the old boxing mentality. Like don't lift weights, just box and run. Mm. You know, it's a little bit like that with jujitsu. It's like just do jujitsu, and it will take care of itself, type of thing. Funny enough, there's a there is a underlying truth. It's not 100 percent accurate, but based on what we've said, there is some truth to that. Where you can waste, I you can waste a lot of time in a gym. Yeah, just like there's internet fuckers out there who will tell me that I spend all this time making people bendy and whatever and i do not do that like you only need as much range of motion as you need plus or minus a buffer and then anything further than that you're wasting your time like if you're a hockey player who's hell-bent on doing the splits there's something fundamentally wrong in your in what you yeah, want it's like a point of diminishing return yeah, like yeah i mean we deal with a lot of baseball teams and we've heard this not not we've heard this more than uh, you'd, you'd want to hear, but a lot of times the pitchers, as their strength increases, their pitch speed decreases. Really? Yeah. There's it, it's it's very specific, right? It's a it's just it's more to it than just getting strong. But anyway, and, we and can go were, on forever. Then, I do have. And there was a specific example in, in Major League Baseball where a team that we don't have to name brought in an SNC coach who was all hell bent on lifting and Olympic lifting. Yeah. Everybody fucked up. And then. One of our instructors, getting back to Quinn, he said something funny. This is not the same guy, but it was another guy. They were, he was talking to a baseball coach, MLB guy, and they were uh, saying that they're, doing, they're bringing in some like, power lifts and Olympic lifts, which is really not common for baseball. But anyway, And the instructor, it was John Quint, he goes to him, he goes, so understand this, it's a baseball S&C guy working with a baseball team, teaching them how to Olympic lift. So he, John asked him, he goes, do you guys have scouts? He goes, yeah, we have scouts. And he goes, are you scouting out Olympic weightlifters and turning them into baseball players? Yeah. The guy goes, no. And everyone understands that. When I say it that way, everyone's like, 
You feel yeah, stupid when you say that. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's what, like, so you're going to spend... I at least got that one right. I was like, don't teach a guy who does a sport another sport. Yeah, like, how much time yeah. are you going to spend? Like, yeah. there's only certain much time during the week. How much time do you have to dedicate to doing that lift properly? Yeah. Because you could probably be practicing your, your grounding. You know what I mean? Like, also, yeah. when did Olympic lifts just become a thing that, like, yeah, it's just like you just do it. I have a kid in my gym who's like, this is his entire life. It's association. The guy's, the guy's yeah. 155 pounds and squats over 500 pounds and like yeah. is just uh, just below 400 pound clean and jerk. Mm. I'm okay. I'm f- I don't care what people do, right? I'll yeah. train you. Like that's his sport. Sure. If that's your sport, that's fine. But if it's not your sport, it's not your sport. Like it's yeah. just fucking not your sport. And you, you'd never say I'm going to get good at soccer to get good at ping pong. Yeah, but people think that weight training—it's like I said—it's the association bias that weight training is strong, powerlifting is power. I want power. I need to powerlift, and that's that's not how this works. But anyway, I wanted a few more questions, jujitsu specific for you. Yeah, yeah. guys listening, um, going through the ranks. Maybe he's a blue belt. Thinks he knows everything by this point. Yeah, because you know blue belts know everything. Yeah, that's the belt that I thought I knew everything too. The, that's the belt. That's the belt that I want the most street fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck everyone up. And I'm like, thank God I did it. <laughs> you're probably you're probably less able to defend yourself in a weird yeah. way. Oh man, but, I was like, yeah, because like you're there's a the 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 worst jujitsu guy is the guy who's been doing it for about three to five months, because when he's random, he's doing stuff that's like. Like some guys, like that's not how you do it. So once he learns how to do it, he's just so shitty at doing it. Yeah. So like now you learn how to play the game proper, like how we all play it. You just suck now. I say that all the time. Yeah. I'm an, I'm a striker, yeah. but sparring with a white belt or They're some, just crazy. It's and you don't see those angles and like oh yeah, you always see things down the yeah. line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, one, yeah, yeah. one of my again, often we'll train on Saturdays together, and one of my favorite things is you know I'll work with Matt. I'll get my ass kicked and I'll watch Matt work with somebody else. Matt may whisper in my ear sometimes. He goes, Does that guy even know jujitsu? Because it's, again, he's, and this is Matt. You can feel it. You can feel it, right? He feels it, and he'll, he'll, he'll put himself in this, again, because he's, he's in, listen, let's be honest, he's playing with his food at this point. Like, he'll step into somebody's guard, let them make all their connections, and then Matt, like, okay, you ready to go? Like, do whatever you want to do to me. Yeah. And then he starts problem solving. Mm. And then, again, it's, whether they could shut him down or not, it's the thing of like Matt seeing. It's like, like, what's this guy doing? Hmm. Like, oh, yeah. and he'll first one say, oh yeah, this guy's great. He's doing this. He's working. He's working technique. I'm still gonna like, I still may kill him. Yeah, but he's yeah. The technique. He has an idea of what he's doing. He's like, a, he knows. Yeah. So what you, what you were saying is like the blue belly thinks he knows everything. Okay, so the gym that I came up in when we when I started was your white belt. Just go. Hmm. That's how most gyms are. When George came, he changed the system and he separated all the white belts from the colored belts. And you have a very strict white belt curriculum. It's like if you're a white belt, you have to learn X, Y, and Z to get to blue belt. So when you're getting to blue belt where you're like thrown into the sharks essentially, you at least know how to stand up and close guard, how how to like base, how to bridge. You have a fundamental idea of like how to do it. You might still suck, but at least you're doing the thing correctly. Mm. So to what you were saying, I could tell like if I step into a guy's De La Hiva and he's like, has no idea of where to grip and he has like his he's almost like short circuiting Mm -hmm. he doesn't know anything Mm -hmm. because like you should know that at blue purple brown black Mm. right like if i go to pass your guard and you do something that's like totally not what you're supposed to do like you don't have no like you're you're not trying to recover your guard Mm -hmm. you know so you could kind of feel it right doesn't mean you're it doesn't mean the guy's 
uh, worse or better. Like that guy might still be able to beat people up, but it's like I just know that he doesn't have a concept of who he is as a jiu-jitsu player. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like when he approaches De La Hiva, he has no tools. When he's when I'm in his close guard, like he has no tools. Like I'll close guard on guys, and like they just won't even know how to open it. They'll just kind of put their hands everywhere and just hope that the guard opens. It's like that's not what that's not that's not what we do. It's like training. Yeah, and most people don't know where they are. Yeah, most people are legitimately have like you know what locked in syndrome is. It's horrifying. But locked it's in syndrome. Like people get surgery and they get the anesthetic and they can feel everything, but they can't move. <laughs> so it's it's a horrible thing. I don't want to make light of it, but most people you can say have kind of like a locked in syndrome yeah. but we program them like they're dancers right like if someone walks into your office and you th- and you you're a trainer and you're like oh we're doing snatches today yeah you are saying that that guy has prerequisites that almost no one on the planet owns yeah and you just assume he's got them eh, let's just fucking see what happens yeah but anyway getting back to what you're saying so if you were to give one piece of advice to to new person say they've been only training for a year Train a lot and acquire as much skill as you can. But you got to be on the mats. It's like, you've heard me before if I, if I cover for drill or something. Something that, that pisses me off, like, is when guys are training and, like, in the roles or, like, sitting there and talking and, like, you know, not really training. Okay. Like, when it's time to train, do the training part. Mm. So, like, approach everything. Like, you're going to roll properly, drill properly, and try to accumulate as much skill as you can. Because once you've been exposed to, like, this is what jiu-jitsu is, then you're going to find things you like. Like, oh, I really like close guard, and you're going to double down on that. That's what I did. Would you, you be say, would you say then that you want them to create a base yeah. of the skills they need so that they can then pile complexity onto those skills? Yeah, it's perfect. Which is exactly what I say people with regards to training. Yeah. People want to go right to blue belt and roll where what they should be doing is acquiring fundamental skills so that you can then... Build. Yeah, you'll be a better blue belt. That's like if you look at who's the best, um, the best Baron Bula guy, Mushimeshi, right? Mm-hmm. People see this kid. He's a rooster, rooster weight, and he like fucks everybody up mm. with like just Baron Bull or even the Meow Brothers. And like, oh, they yeah. only must know Baron Bulo. Mm. No, no, they know everything. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that they double down, and then that's who makes them jujitsu. Like Keenan, I faced Keenan. Do you think he wormed guard me up? No, the guy was Toriano passing me like he was dancing. <laughs> Hey, he knows worm guard now, hmm. but at purple belt, he was passing guys' guards and backstepping and just making your life a living hell. That's like you think you, say, you take someone like, like Eddie and you forget that he's a black belt under Jean-Jacques Machado. Yeah. He's not a fucking, he's not a guy that just made shit up. Like the, the fact that you can be creative is only because of the fact that you have a foundation to create on. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like when, I, when they tell fighters, I hate this advice, but they're like, you know, John Jones, Anderson Silver, they're very creative. Go in there and be creative. So then a person who has no business being creative yeah. goes in there and starts throwing like a... Crazy shit. Just some crazy <laughs> shit to be creative. But the fact is, is that John Jones is not saying, I'm going to be creative now. Yeah. John Jones is creative. Yeah. And his body allows him the, de- the degrees display, of freedom. Like uh, same with Stylebender, yeah. Same with Stylebender. Yeah. And yeah. then from a strength and conditioning standpoint, it's like, again... I'm like you. I don't actually hate CrossFit. I just hate like I, I just hate the people. You know. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing wrong with it. It's a yeah. sport. Like, but it's like, oh, this guy's doing snatches. Like, I've never even seen a barbell. Let me just let's just go to snatch. And give it a go. That'd be like you going into first day math class and being like calculus. Right. Um, people it, play CrossFit, right? But CrossFit's yeah. a sport, right? If you treat it like a sport, yeah. it's brilliant. You would never run onto an NFL field and go. Let's just give this shit a go. 
Yeah. You would never jump in the octagon with a real fighter yeah. and say, I'm going to fucking try this out. Yeah. The part I don't, the CrossFit, that part that you're taking people and you're putting them into this crazy, difficult, specific scenario without a foundation. Yeah. Everyone knows that's the problem. Yeah, it's the foundation. And if you explain it like that, like I always use the, like the writing a book thing. Like if you've never spoken the language, you're not going to just day one write a novel. Mm. Like learn the letters first, man. Like mm. learn the words and then see what's up. You're not going to be the best or you might be. You know, like all the good guys in my academy, they're all proficient everywhere. Mm. But like when I roll with, I'd say Nate Dos Santos is probably the best jiu-jitsu fighter in, in Canada right now. He's like the guy who's pushing like at black belt competing and stuff. I saw him from white belt. Mm. He started after me. Or sorry, he started before me. He knows how to open close guard, knows how to like escape side control, mount. When I roll with him now, he doesn't. He does his A-game stuff, which is like intricate del, uh, intricate um, la, lapel stuff and de la Hiva and But I saw him 10 years ago. Mm. He learned all that stuff all the way around, became, uh, all the way up, then decided what he wanted to like double down in and make himself an effective competitor. There's he an, didn't there's start a, at that. There's an order to this. Yeah, there's, there's an, an order. order. And it's, um, that is what I've seen that the best guys are the guys who are like very effective do. You know? mm. And then I think like who makes somebody better or worse, there's like genetic components, how much they train, like sure. all that stuff sorts itself out. Sure. And then some people are just good. I hate yeah. those fucking people. Yeah. My, anyway. brother, my brother's a good athlete. He's good at everything. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like your brother. <laughs> I just hate He's in people. Kazakhstan right now, so. Oh, <laughs> so I don't have to compete against him. I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, very good. So what did your, your, your gym, which is where we uh, do. Apex, yeah, Apex Training Center where we host all the FRC stuff now. All the FRC now. stuff. And it's um, Apex Training Center. It's Apex, what is it, the website? ApexTrainingCenter.com. ApexTrainingCenter.com. 300 Bridgeland, New Yorkdale, if you're in the city. Okay. And, yeah. and your very fun, awesome podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you. Uh, the Long Talk Podcast. If you if you what, like, what do you, what do you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, so if you're into a podcast like The Fighter and the Kid, which is basically two guys hanging out and just shooting the shit and very bro style of humor, check out Long Talk Podcast. Very different than this one. Actually, there's some similarities, oh, no, I'm just but shooting it's the shit yeah. <laughs> but it's very uh, it's very male humor. Okay, yeah. it's a lot of fun. How dare you're you. a fan, right? How dare you? How dare you? How say dare that? you? You yeah. white cisgender. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Um, very good. Um, thank yeah, you very thank much, you. sir. Thank I appreciate you. it. I'll have you back. Of course. Again. Yes, All right. Sir. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. We're out.